Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judah Shop Chewy Podcast, and I'm your host, Judah Dave Roman, coming back at you with a new episode after a really extended break away from recording. There's been several reasons for me to do that. Largely, it was the buildup to Thanksgiving and a lot of preparation with that. It's been work, it's been training. And quite frankly, to be honest with some of you, and this is going to surprise some people that I know personally that that listen to this, I've had a few health issues, I must say. I guess I'm just getting at that age. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 47 in just three weeks. I started this podcast at 41. I'm really a different man in a lot of ways from 41 to 47, mostly for the better. I'd say 99% for the better, but let me tell you, as I'm getting up there in age, just those quote-unquote health issues that rear its ugly head at you know when men get in their late 40s so I'm dealing with some of that nothing serious as far as I know but at the moment I'm taking more medication than I ever have at one time in my life so I don't think it's very serious I don't want anybody to worry but I gotta say that it's affected my energy levels it's there's just you know for everything that I do around the house uh, with training uh, with my job and and being a, a house husband and being a good husband and such, just there hasn't been a left uh, enough uh, gas in the tank for anything else. I'll, I'll be I'll be straightforward with you. But I've had a busy three months, and I'm going to put that all behind me because I'm back. I'm doing another episode, plenty to talk about on the world or in the world of judo, and I'm really excited to get to some of those things. So on this episode of the Judah Chop Suey podcast, I'm going to be talking about the, uh-oh, the dreaded new rules for IJF competition, what that will mean for competitors and what that may mean for you at your local clubs. There's also been some news around the world of judo that has caught my attention, especially toward the 
last month or so of the year. And there's been other some other judo related stuff that I want to cover. Uh, things going on in my life personally. I mean, I've t- I talked a little bit about that, but I also want to talk about the good. Starting with the fact that I finally taught a class of judo at my Brazilian jiu-jitsu club. And it went really well. I was really, um, <laughs> I was about to say I was really impressed with myself. But I was really surprised at myself that I managed to be able to uh, run a class that I thought went really well. In, in fact, it went so well that one of the the girlfriends of the students that was there commented on my ability to teach. That was a surprise to me because... Quite frankly, I didn't think she was paying attention. <laughs> I think she was on her phone the entire time while while a boyfriend was learning. Uh, uh, real, I, what I was teaching was Sumi Gaeshi, which I think is just a fantastic throw for for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu students. I think it's a fantastic throw for beginners as as a whole. I know I'm not keen on teaching beginners sacrifice throws, but these are not beginners to grappling, so I feel a little bit different about that. I think I've talked about this before. The very first throw that I ever learned was Osotogari. And in my opinion, I think Osotogari is a horrible throw to teach first day beginners. Now, when my wonderful jiu-jitsu co- uh, coach approached me about teaching a class, he had asked me to teach Osotogari because it was coming up on the, I, I, it was coming up on the test for, I think it was after, was it before or after the club testing? I don't remember, but it was right around that time, and and I I kind of strongly suggested, hey, look, I, I mean, I I'm willing to teach it, but I think it's better to teach them something that they can actually use and and it's safer for the beginners because it was just me, and it was probably the largest adult class I ever taught. There must have been about fifteen people on the mat. At least that's how it felt, and um. When there's that many adults, I need to be able to control what's going on the ma- on the mats at all time and being able to observe. And I, I just feel that with Osotogari, I thought there was just too much risk for somebody getting injured. You know, our mat space is, is in terms of a subfloor, is, is non-existent. So for beginners to take an, a fall from Osotogari, even a bad one, that's like a car crash every time you take a you you take ukemi on osotogari on a bad mat like especially if somebody manages to do it really well like if i throw somebody with osotogari on those mats and i actually try and and do it with good technique they're going to come up hurting and to ask a bunch of beginner adults to take falls for osotogari anything more than 10 times would be asking a lot so i thought sumigayashi a really easy entry into it where it also gives them an opportunity to practice their Zenpo Kaiten Okemi in a way, the way that they're thrown. I just thought it was a safe way to go about it. I was able to teach them a transition right into Newaza, into a hold down. So I, I thought it went really well. I didn't overcomplicate things. Uh, I, it was basically a, a, a Kenka Yatsu situation that I taught them. And I, I thought it went well. I wasn't sure until uh, the, the, you know one of my training partners who was a student in that particular context told me that his girlfriend thought I did a great job. So hooray for me. I, I was excited to do it. And I think coming up into next year, we'll finally have a, a, a schedule that's, that happens more than twice a week, at least I hope. And I hope to be a big part of that coming forward because I, I really love teaching judo. I don't know how, how much I'd love it if I was teaching kids, but adults especially enthusiastic adults that want to learn something new. It's really a blast. I'm, I, I really love doing it. It's a lot of fun. 
and I just, I love teaching. I, what can I say? I love judo. I love teaching it. All right, so moving along onto the big pressing news item of the day of the episode, really kicking off the year. The International Judo Federation has updated their rules for the 2022, happy new year to everybody if I didn't say that already, to 2024 Olympic cycle. Yeah, I know, I know, everybody's freaking out. You can hear Luke Skywalker screaming in the background, but let me tell you, I think these rule changes are good for the sport of judo. Let me reiterate that. I think these rule changes are good for the sport of judo. I am not going to argue that this is good for recreational, local, club-level, developmental judo. That is that is so... When I talk about these rules, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down the rule changes, each one, and then I'm going to kind of discuss... Yeah, I typically do this with matches. I do this with any time there's a rule change and such. I'm going to do it with this. I'm going to break down each of the major rule changes and what I think of it. And listen, I get it. With the nature of podcasting, this is a one-way conversation that we're having... But if there's something that you don't like or something you disagree with and you want to get it off your chest, feel free to email me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. I love getting email from the listeners. I try and respond to as many as I can. You can also reach out to me on my Instagram and my Twitter at Judoka. I have shut down my Facebook. I have personal reasons for doing so and it has nothing to do with avoiding people or anything like that. I just... For me, I, I just don't feel comfortable supporting that particular company. I know Instagram and it is owned by Facebook as well, but I, it's it's a different medium, and and the medium for Facebook just doesn't work for me. Even though I, I I've made a lot of connection with with many of the, the listeners, and and I I really appreciate the connections that I've had over the years with Facebook, but. I canceled it a couple of months ago. I, I, I disabled my account. And quite frankly, I don't miss it. I don't miss the noise. I don't miss... Um, yeah, I, I just don't miss it. So I'm done with Facebook. I, I've never really needed Facebook for the podcast. I mean, it certainly helped. So I'm hoping people will share this with word of mouth. Whatever listeners I got left. I'm sure the three after the three-month break, I probably lost a few. And you know, hopefully you all will... Those listeners will find their way back. And I hope... Uh, in 2022 that I will have um, a more consistent release schedule. Anyway, I want to get to the IJF rules here. Now to start things off, the qualification system is going to remain exactly the same. And, and, and mind you, I saw these rules from an official IJF video that was narrated by Neil Adams. He, he did a lot of the narration of the rule changes. They did not go into depth on the reasons why they made the rule changes. They just kind of talked about the rule changes as a whole. But I still have my opinions nonetheless on that. So the qualification is going to be the same. There's some new judogi-related uh, uh, requirements that it appears that they're making the judogis just a little bit bigger for competition. I think that's a good change. I don't know how that impacts a lot of people because they—I mean, it means that they probably have to get new geese. But rule changes on the judogi don't don't really interest me very much because I don't—I I wear a single weave judogi. That's 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 um very loose and, and very comfortable fitting. So it's not for competition. So I, I didn't really pay attention much to those rule changes. However, the first one that I think was a great change, they changed the standard of Wazari. Wazari is now must be at a 90 degree angle of 
of landing. And let me tell you, I've been complaining about this since they made the rule change and reintroduced Wazari Awaseti Ipon. Now, I was the clown that said, listen, we need to get rid of the accumulating Wazari scores and go back to Wazari Awaseti Ipon. Apparently, the IJF listened to me. They did that. But then they lowered the standard of Wazari. So much so that they were calling Wazari's when the front of Uke, we'll just say the person getting thrown, we'll call him Uke, her, him, her, Uke. When Uke's body was angled toward, the front of the body was angled toward the mat, that should never be a Wazari, ever. And I saw way too many instances of Wazari being called for throws that, that would have never really even been a coca years ago. So having the minimum requirement for Wazari being uh, landing at 90 degrees um, or or towards your back, towards the mat, I think that's a really good change for the scoring. It, I really think it's going to allow for more consistent scoring, which was a, my, uh, my other complaint over the past Olympic cycle, is that the, the, the consistency for Wazari scores was just not there for me. As And, and mind you, when I talk about this, I'm largely talking as a spectator of the IJF World Tour. I'm not talking about this as a pr- practitioner. Now, with regards to to talking about the 90-degree angle of, of attack, they also clarified scores landing on the upper shoulder and back area. That is also going to be a Wazari score. That I That's always been a Wazari, but I think it's good for the sake of the judo community that the IJF clarified uh, what a Wazari is, that it also includes those type of scores as well. Because not every Wazari score you went, you land on your side, obviously. So this was a rule change that I was completely in favor of. Now the next one is landing on the elbows and hands. They they updated the rules for that. So landing on the elbows or hands or one elbow and one hand, that's going to be a Wazari. That has always been a Wazari. But now they're going to call that a Shido on Uke. I really have mixed feelings on that. I don't like that change. I don't think the Shido is necessary. The IJF, aka Neil Adams in this instance, did not clarify why they made this change to call it a Shido. I'm going to assume that the IJF is either they're they're making this change based on injury statistics or they are making this change in a preemptive manner to prevent potential injuries. I don't know why they made this change to call it a Shido. I don't really agree with it. I, I I don't think it was necessary. Now, moving on to the third rule change that they made. They, uh, they made a change to rollover counter techniques. And now, this is going to be hard to explain via this medium, but uh, you're going to have to take a look at the example the IJF provided on this rule. So this is no longer going to be a score. Now, there are times that I've seen on the world tour where somebody attempts an Uchimata and uh, the person getting thrown in this instance, they manage to kind of push the, the Tori forward and have them roll on their back. And they were getting Wazari calls for this. And this is no longer going to be a score. And I agree with this change. Uh, so, for starters, we're not talking about Uchimara Sukashi, and we're not talking about a a ban or or a no score on Daki Wakari either. That so we're not talking about those kind of counters to Uchimara or forward throws. We're talking about. 
this kind of rollover stuff that, quite frankly, I'm glad they, they made this a no score because I'm kind of one of those traditionalists, and I really hate using that word. But to me, at least when it comes to scoring, if you can't name the technique, then it probably shouldn't score. That That's kind of how I feel when it comes to scoring techniques. And this one, it, it's there's it it does not fall under the criteria of any throw, in my opinion. And to take it a step further, I think we can all agree what an pawn score should be. And that's, uh, you know, when somebody is thrown largely on their back with both force and speed. And Wazari has typically been a, a score that where one of those criteria is not there. But for these rollover techniques... They're not really landing substantially on their back. It's never with any force, and it's really rarely with that, with, not with any speed. So if these scores, if these throws were getting scored as Wazari and they lacked any speed, they lacked any force, and they're just kind of rolling the guy on their back and forcing them on their back, that, that, that's not a throw to me. That's just, you can call this a skillful entry into Nawaza. I mean, that's cool, but it shouldn't score. I know there's a lot of... Uh, former competitors out there or even current competitors that probably disagree with that change. But I, I'm all for it. I, I'm that, Again, I'm talking strictly as a spectator. I don't think that should score. It's it's not a throw. It's, it's, it's a turnover. Now, continuing on the subject of Wazari, I forgot to mention this. This, this was actually the first change beyond the, uh, uh, the new Judogi uh, sizing requirements. Continuation of techniques. This was a much needed change. So now when it comes to scores, if there is a break in the action of of Tori throwing Uke, that is no longer going to score Wazari. And, and I that's one of those things that I've been complaining about for years as well. That if I don't like continuation, generally speaking, but I understand why you have to have it. But if you're going to call continuation, there cannot be a break. So if I'm doing... uh. Drop Sayoi Otoshi, or just Sayoi Otoshi. And I get the person down, they get on their knees, and I'm driving, I'm driving. They manage to stop that action, but then I readjust, and then I'm driving again, and I get them on their back. That is no longer a Wazari, that's a no score. And I think that's exactly the correct call, the correct change the IGF made. Because it's... I don't like continuation. I'm saying this as, as again, as a fan. I don't like continuation. I don't think that should score. And they made the right change. Maybe they're listening to me after all. I may, I think this is better for the sport of judo on the IGF level. So I think that between the, the uh, redefinition of what continuation is and the Wazari being called at a 90 degrees, I think these are excellent changes for refereeing. And for the athletes, and I think it's I think it's a step in the right direction for uh, setting up for the Paris Games. Which, listen, in my opinion, for as awesome as Tokyo was, I think Paris is going to be even bigger and better. All right, so let's see. I've covered the landing on the elbows, the rollover techniques. Okay, here is where I'm probably going to depart with a lot of you. Reverse Sayanagi is now banned by the IJF. If you do it. It's going to be a Shido against you. Not a Hansokumaki, which is a good thing, but it's going to be a Shido. And this has blown up on Judo Twitter, Judo Instagram. It's blown up on Reddit. I think I'm going to be the, the lone voice in the desert here, and I think this is a good change. You know, for, for starters, 
And let, and let me just say say this. I really find it interesting <laughs> how so many people who I would consider recreational or just students are complaining about this technique as if this is something that they do. And I know it's not th- something that most people do. This is not a very common technique. And I'll just say this. Of all the clubs that I've been to, all the all the training camps, all the seminars that I've been to, I have never once in my life seen somebody do reverse Sayanagi in front of me. I see it on the IJF World Tour. I'm sure a lot of kids do it and such, but this is not a very widely practiced technique. You can't sit there and tell me this technique is as popular as Uchimata or it's as popular as Tayatoshi or say a regular Sayanagi or or Sayoyatoshi. This technique is not very high on the list of popularity. But the reason why I agree with this change is having messed around with it myself, I think this is a technique that can lead to a high degree of injuries. And it's my understanding, and this is coming from somebody by the username of Retired Penguin on Reddit, that this person knows somebody who is on the IJF Referee Commission. According to him, their explanation was that reverse Sayanagi does not comply with the principle of avoiding accidents as much as possible, especially in the case of juniors and cadets. The, to- the control Tori has over Uke is severely lacking in this technique as proven by our injury statistics. Furthermore, reverse Sayanagi is often used to simulate attacks which does not comply with the principle of positive judo. That is allegedly... The explanation from a person on the IJF Referee Commission. And I have no reason to doubt that explanation. And having messed around with Reverse Sayanagi myself, and I'm talking about the the standing version uh, where there is a lift. This is a version that I've practiced. I've never done it in Rondori. I've never even attempted it in Rondori simply because I think their injury risk is there. I don't trust most people to do the right thing when taking that fall. And and therein lies the problem. It's a throw, in my opinion, where if your solution is to either take the fall, if if your if Uke's response is to either take the fall or get their shoulders broken, that's not a technique that should be involved um, on the world tour at the highest levels. This is something that can very easily become a, a throwing with Ude Garami. And there's only been one person that I have allowed to throw me with this technique. And the only way that I did Ukemi was making sure that I was able to release the judogi uh, of Tori uh, before I landed. Or else my arm was going to get get caught and, and possibly broken. And, and, and I've seen people come very close to getting their arms mangled uh because they couldn't they couldn't release the jacket because their their grip got caught up and, and tightened up and and it it just it, I think it can be a very dangerous technique, and I trust that the IJF has statistics and data that point to the risk of this throw. Now, a lot of people are chirping about this online and all over the place, and I suspect that most of the people complaining about this can't actually do the technique. So it's just it's just a, a means to complain against the IJF, and I, I'm not trying to just blow, you know you know, paint all rainbows and sunshine with regards to the IJF. There's a lot of things that they have done over the years, a lot of the rule changes that I've disagreed with. But I think in this case, they're not being shady. They they don't have an axe to grind with the Koreans. Like, I've seen some really ridiculous um, 
accusations thrown out there. And quite frankly, for those of you who are battering Neil Adams online, you know, what the hell is the matter with you? Shame on you people for doing that. You know, you guys are shooting the messenger, thinking that Neil Adams had a direct hand in making these changes. It is my understanding. I have no reason to believe the IGF's lying on this. When they create these rule changes, they are in cooperation with all the uh, judo federations across the world, all the national governing bodies across the world. So these, you know, it's not like uh, Mr. Marius Wieser is sitting up there in his ivory tower, you know, throwing the, the, the commandments of what judo should be and should not be and such. I mean, these these referee commissions, these commissions that they come together and they talk about these rule changes, they don't do this in, in, in a vacuum here. I don't know. Maybe I'm 100% wrong on that. I, I just think that whenever they make these decisions and, and, and they make these changes that they don't, they don't do this stuff lightly. I mean, this is, this is a major sports league that, that these rule changes can impact a significant amount of athletes. And look, personally speaking, I, I would, I understand why they made the change. I, I, I think reverse Sayanagi is a great technique. But if they have injury statistics, I, I think they got to make a change. I, I, I mean, I, I just do. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so moving on to the next um, rule change here. Gripping under the belt at the end of the phase of a throwing a technique is now allowed as long as the opponent is in a Nawaza situation. Now, this is really interesting to me because this is kind of, sort of, but not really a return of being able to grab legs in order to finish the technique. But it's got to be at the end part of a technique. Now, you really have to see the video examples that they use in these situations, but this this will score as long as the person is in a Nawaza situation and you're... Dr so, for example, if, if the person's on their knees and you're driving and your hand toward the end of the turn of getting them onto their back, as long as it's a continuation, if your hand actually touches underneath the belt, uh, they're not going to call a Shido on that. I really like this change a lot. I think this is going to help with the new standard for continuation calls. I'm curious to see 
where referees will draw that line as to what is too early and what is too late to use that hand um, to assist at the end of a throw. It'll be interesting to see that. I, I think there's too much room for interpretation there. And hopefully we won't see situations where things that, that were scored should not have been scored or vice versa. Now, there were some gripping related changes that I thought the explanations on what the rules are was a little bit lacking, at least in the video. They are going to allow lapel and collar grip grips as long as you are not being defensive. So it seems to me that they're going to be a little more lax in terms of calling Shido on this. They're not gonna they're not gonna call Shido right away if you are working towards something in terms of initiating movements and attacks and such. I just hope that this is this is a change that does not become a means for for uh, athletes to crunch opponents down and prevent their movements while they are attacking. I just, I hope that we don't see that kind of movement. I think that should be called a Shido. But I'll be interested to see how this grip is used moving forward and, and what they will, will and will not call as a Shido. I think this change could possibly have unintended consequences just based on the way that I've seen this grip used previously. But maybe not. I hope I'm wrong about that. Now, they are, there was a clarification on unconventional grips that I thought was a little unusual to me because they, they said things like belt grips, one-sided grips, Georgian grips, pistol grips, and pocket grips are now allowed for the pre preparation of an attack. I'm not quite sure what that really means because apart from the pocket grip and maybe the pistol grip, I always thought that, that these unconventional grips were allowed as long as you were attacking. So perhaps this means that they're going to allow you to attack or or allow you to set up your throws and such from these grips. And if, if that's the case, I think that's a good thing as long as people aren't being defensive. Now, another gripping change that they made that I think is going to be very impactful. Quite frankly, I think this is going to be one of the biggest impacts of, of in terms of rule changes. Reverse Sayanagi is relatively minor compared to this one. So now breaking grips... And retaking grips is allowed, but breaking a grip and not re immediately retaking a grip is going to be called a Shido. Now, how many times have we seen where there's a gripping exchange and stuff that athletes break the grip and kind of reset and, and get their bearings? Well, that's going to be called a Shido. And I think that's going to be a tremendous impact to the athletes. I mean, heck, I even do it when I'm when I'm practicing. And certainly when I used to compete, um, that used to happen quite a bit. Where if I didn't like a situation, if I felt that I was getting dominated by the grips, I'd strip the grip and, and reset. Just even if it's just a second or two to reset. But but now if if you break a grip, you'd better be regripping right away. That's going to lead to a lot of exchanges. I mean, that, I mean, judo on the at the highest levels at the world tour is already a very fast and frantic sport. And I think with this change, it's going to be make it's going to make it even faster and more frantic. I, I, I kind of love it, but at the same time, I think that this is going to be the toughest one for the athletes to adjust to. Maybe that's not going to be the case, but th it's just really interesting to me that uh, th this is a huge change in my opinion. Now, the next rule change that they made, arranging of the, the, the judogi or the hair, the referees are going to allow you to do it once per contest, but anything more than that, it's going to be a shido. I think this is a good rule change. There have been too many times where I've seen athletes use the excuse of rearranging your hair 
or fixing the judogi to waste time out there to catch a breather and such. Um, they're getting rid of that. I think that's a good thing from a spectator's point of view. If the hair or the judogi needs to be adjusted um, after you've used your one time, let the refs handle it. Let the refs allow you to make that change instead of using it as a means to kill time. And listen, I get it. Judo is a tough sport already. And between the changes of the gripping and the regripping and the and the fixing of the hair and the judogi, it's going to make a tough sport even tougher. It, it's hard. I I mean, look, the, these guys are 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 among the best athletes in the world, and we're asking them to do a lot, especially when you consider the type of golden score that some of these these athletes face. Sometimes their golden score matches are are eight. The golden score is eight minutes long for a four minute match, and um. It's hard. It's it's hard. It's it's gonna make the sport even harder. And you know, I like the change, but I completely understand how some athletes need to use those adjustments to try and catch their breath. Now, the final change that the IJF made, which I was, I guess they're just providing more clarification, but it's in regards to head diving as Tori. So it appears to me that any forward technique used, especially when you see Uchimata where your head is touching the mat as you're throwing forward, even if you're not head spiking yourself, if your head hits the mat, they're going to call it Hansokumaki. And that includes the type of forward throws where the Uchimata, where you're, where you kind of land on the back of your head and you roll over and stuff. That's the video examples that they use. And they're going to call that Hansokumaki. Um, I've complained over the past couple of years that there have been times where the head has been used as both Uke and Tori. Um, where they should be calling Hansukumaki immediately, and they haven't been doing it. I think they you, you we have to have techniques where the head is not being used on the mat to facilitate a throw or to facilitate the fence in any way. I don't want to see it. No, the, the the world of judo does not need to see somebody get a broken neck in a tournament for the entire world to see. It can't happen. Can't ever, ever happen. So any rule that clarifies the head diving and and makes the requirements even stricter, I'm perfectly okay with. So that's going to be it in terms of the rule changes for this next Olympic cycle heading into the 2024 Paris Games. I think these rules, with the exception, the only exception that I really had was calling a Shido with the landing with both hands or on your elbows. I, I didn't think that was a necessary change. But other than that, I think these rule changes are pretty good. Um, I know reverse Sayanagi is highly controversial, but if injury is a concern, I understand it. Now, I turn I tend to lean towards... I would rather see injuries happen before they make a rule change rather than making a preemptive change. But if they have injury statistics on this, even if it's not at the senior level, I get it. It makes sense. I understand. Now, there's been a lot of outrage out there from people saying that the IJF is ruining judo and things like that. Listen, if you want to be upset at anybody... Be upset at your national governing body for not running tournaments and not having a structure or a development model that includes traditional judo. I mean, as far as I know, there isn't a reason why a national governing body cannot, you know, run traditional type tournaments along with tournaments that are IJF specific rule sets. I don't understand why they can't do both. It doesn't make sense to me. 
And here's the other thing too. And I understand a lot of people are going to, going to, you know, uh, disagree with me on this point. Nothing stops the local sensei, the local recreational club from practicing judo any way they see fit. You know, when I was teaching Sumikaeshi the other day, I was teaching the two-on-one grip break. Yeah, it's not legal in judo, but it's legal in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that's what I'm going to teach. And I think the two-on-one grip, grip grip break is a great way to break a grip off a lapel. So I'm going to teach it. So to me, in my opinion, you know, unless you are training at a national training site, whether that's for Team USA or anywhere else in the world, unless you're within those buildings, in those walls competing in points tournaments or or trying to get a spot on your 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 national team then really every other club you know should be teaching traditional judo i think the hatred and the anger is misguided toward the IGF because the IGF is not concerned with grassroots development that i mean they may say that they're concerned about grassroots development but in terms of what they are doing and what they are focused on it's not you know, the mom and pop judo, uh, judo club, you know, in your local town, you know, and, and here's the other thing that really grinds my gears when it comes to the people complaining. It's like, and I'm, I'm just going to use the United States as an, as an example here. People complain about, oh, the IJF is ruining judo. They take away leg grabs. They did all of this. But then when somebody like Steve Scott creates something like freestyle judo, he's ostracized for it. By a lot of people. People are like, oh, that's just dumb. Freestyle judo's never gonna take off. Why are we even doing this? Why do they even do that? You know, it's like here's a guy that takes the initiative, has a great Midwest program, has produced great judo people, judo students, judo instructors. I tell you what, you know, Derek Darling, Kenny Brink, um, Josh Lehman out in the uh, out with Jefferson City Judo Club out in the Midwest. Oh, these these are students of Steve Scott, and he's produced a lot of great judo people. But a lot of people have crapped on him for for doing freestyle judo. It's like, well, what do you what do you people want? Oh, and by the way, um, I'm going to have in the very near future uh, a, a guest. I, I don't want to give up who he is just yet, but um, but recently USA Judo did a tournament uh, a, a type of tournament style called. Uh, judo submission grappling and that was met with a lot of skepticism I know Gary Goltz I know the USJA have done like Kosen Judo type tournaments and that has been met with some some blowback it's like you got people out there trying to do things it, 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 you know everybody complains oh the IJS ruining judo and this and that so then when you have people actually try and make a difference and people are like no that's not the change that we want that's not what we want we want the 2010 rules and I, I mean, I think to myself, my God, the 2010 rules weren't really that great, uh, quite frank, not in my opinion. I mean, do you really want the, the Coca back? Do, do you really want, you know, a, a, a Hante decision back? I mean, honestly, I, I don't know why people complain when people try and make a change. So I, I, I don't get it. But in my view, if you don't like the rule changes, ask your instructor to, to teach things that are not part of the IJF curriculum. Or I should say part of the IJF rule set. And if they're unwilling to do it, find another club that will or or or, or, or teach it yourself if you're if you're instructor level. But personally speaking, I do not think the IJF rule changes are a barrier to growth of judo across the world. I, I don't I don't believe that at all. 
And I don't believe for one second that this makes judo less effective in self-defense or anything like that. I mean, come on. If you're defending yourself, you're not going to do reverse Sayanagi out there. Please, don't, don't, don't be ridiculous. So anyway, that's my take on it. If you disagree, uh, we're, you're more than welcome to have a conversation with me about it. Again, you could email show at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at LaVitaJudoka. You can also lob me a phone call at 813. I'm kidding. I'm not going to give you my phone number. <laughs> All right, moving along. So a couple of days ago, I was tagged by my very good friend, Jonah Ewell of 510 Judo out in Oakland area, California. Actually, it's technically San Leandro, California. I just remembered that. He tagged me in a Instagram post that he made, and he was talking about USA Judo has now partnered with American Judo, USAJudo.com to offer their members access to Jimmy Pedro's American Judo uh, videos. And and I don't know what curriculum and such um, will be available for, for viewing, which techniques and such. I don't know if the dojo management information will be available, made available, but it's my understanding that USA Judo membership is now bumped up its price to $100 a year, but it includes uh, if these videos and such from, from American Judo, which I think is a good thing. And quite frankly, it's the first time in a very long time that I can remember a Judo organization offering its members something of substance to go along with their membership. Because let me tell you, selling me on secondary insurance That's not a selling point for me to join a judo organization. I'm sorry. So apart from that, what you're really paying for is for rank recognition and the permission to be able to compete in a judo organization's tournaments, which when you look at it from the grand scheme of things, most people do not compete. So really, what are you offering your, you know, members, if, if, if they join a judo organization other than rank recognition and secondary insurance, which, you know, rank recognition is important, I guess, but for secondary insurance, like most people are, are got their own insurance these days. And quite frankly, I don't really know how important secondary insurance is for, for, for tournaments to be ran. I mean, does, does, I don't think Naga forces you to to have secondary insurance if you compete in their tournaments or, or new way combat or, or, or fight to win. I I think I could just join fight to win and not be affiliated with any jujitsu organization, um, you know, or whoever competes at the fight to win. I I think you have to be selected for those. I, I don't think anybody can just show up, but you know what I mean? There are tons of grappling tournaments that don't require that stuff. So I don't really know what these days, what a judo organization offers if if you're not doing something of value but but including american judo videos and content uh by jimmy pedro i i i think that's of real value that's that that's worth it to me so yeah to include this to include these video series by by american judo i think it's a great thing i'm not sure how jimmy pedro benefits but um certainly the rest of us do and i think that's a great thing all right let's see some other things of note that uh, caught my eye over the past couple of months or so. Um, now, there's been a lot of retirements over the over the past uh, a couple of months or so. But two that caught my eye was uh, 
Anchan Grim of, of Korea is retiring, and Sally Conway uh, is retired, and and now she's gotten into coaching. I can't can't remember which country she's she's the head coach of, but but it's uh, good on her. She had a they they both had remarkable careers. Uh, uh, let's see, Marina Slutskaya of Belarus is retired. Oh, and this is a doozy of a story that I came across uh, just a few weeks ago. Remember that guy. Um, Naidan Tufshin Bayar of Mongolia. He single-legged his way to Olympic gold in 2008. He won a silver in the 2012 Olympics. Uh, he was a 2015 world bronze medalist. Uh, remember that guy? Well, he's been charged with murder. Apparently, he murdered um, a former training partner of his in a drunken argument. Actually, they got into a fight in... Um, I think back in April and it caused severe injuries. And apparently this guy was in a coma and he passed away just a few weeks ago. So now he's guilty of murder, which as far as I know, in most countries, if you come, you commit an act of violence and that person dies of their injuries, even if it's sometimes late, sometime later, you're still going to be charged with murder. So yeah, just a very unfortunate situation. I think, um, I believe if I didn't say it already, that this was a former training partner, part of the Mongolian team. Um, who went to the Olympics as well? I, I I don't know if that's true or not, but either way, just just a really tragic situation all around. Uh, but quite frankly, I don't care what you accomplished in judo. I I hope the Mongolian justice system throws the book at him. Uh, because look, <laughs> you're a murderer. Period. End of story. It's a sad way to end your story, but um, yeah, just tragic all around. All right, anyway, I think I'm going to end it there. Since it has been a long time since I've done an episode, this is kind of a warm-up episode. I'm stretch, I'm proverbially stretching. I'm proverbially warming up here for 2022. Um, I'm a little uh, uh, out of practice with my mic technique and everything, so hopefully this episode doesn't come off sounding too terribly. For those of you who still have subscribed to this podcast and received this notification and are listening all the way to the end here, I really appreciate it. I I promise you that I'm going to create more episodes uh, with more frequency in 2022. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how these new adjustments to the rules are going to play out on the IJF World Tour. I think it's going to be a positive development uh, because I've said it many times already. I thought the Tokyo Olympics were awesome. So, all right. So, I'm going to wrap it up here. So, with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Happy New Year to you all. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open.